Let me invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of First Peter. And we'll look there in just a moment to get started. It is a delight to be with you, and I'm very thankful for the presence of so many who have come our way this evening, and a number of friends in the audience, and I appreciate uh, you coming out this evening uh, to join with us in this study. And um, I, I mentioned last night that we are, we're looking at some lessons that I hope are helpful in trying to help us draw nearer to each other as God's people. And uh, as we look at this lesson tonight, we're talking about hospitality. And I have been benefiting from a great show of hospitality this week till I feel like the need needs to shift from hospitality to gluttony. But we'll just save that for another time and we'll focus on what we've already decided on tonight. I think that um, hospitality is uh, an instruction that's given, a command that's given in the New Testament that is unfortunately increasingly neglected, both in instruction and in practice. Um, Culturally, we move farther and farther from this. When we read through the Bible, all the way starting back in Genesis, hospitality, it's just a, a given in the stories that we read. So that you see, you see Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 when the angels come to visit him and uh, he doesn't know they're angels. Maybe he illustrates that point the Hebrew writer is making by, about entertaining angels unawares. But he invites them and he, he just, it's just assumed he's supposed to make them a meal and, and care for them and provide for them. Um, we see the same thing when we back up there, uh, or rather in the next chapter, where Lot invites those men, those angels, into his home as they come into Sodom and Gomorrah. There's sort of a very similar story at the end of the book of Judges where man comes in uh, to that area of Bethlehem towards the end of the book of Judges, at Levite and his concubine. And, and a, one of the citizens there says, you just can't stay out in the street, come stay in my house. We don't live in that kind of world anymore. I mean, you don't live in the kind of world where you just meet somebody and you invite them in their home. And let me just say, I understand that. There's some realistic uh, things that go into understanding that as far as, you know, we live in a dangerous world. And, and we understand some of those uh, cares and concerns. And, of course, we also live in a world that has lots of available opportunities. They didn't have um, a Motel 6 or a, a Holiday Inn Express around every corner. And we do. And so we don't, we don't find ourselves wandering into a town trying to figure out where we're going to stay. There's somewhere to stay everywhere. So I understand there's a lot of reasons why that's not our culture anymore. But it doesn't mean we still don't have to follow the instruction to be hospitable. And we still need to be looking for opportunities to be hospitable. Because as Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. That's about as direct a command as you could ask for as far as you know, establishing authority for something. It's, the instruction is there, and it's repeated. And we'll see that repetition as we go through some various texts this evening. I, I want to start out by way of definition. What are we talking about when we talk about being hospitable? Well, when you see that word throughout the New Testament, there's really two words that are basically translated, Greek words that are translated into the English word hospitality. And so both of those words have the same ending. And that ending is uh, X-E-N-O-S, xenos, all right? Now, if you ever hear a political discussion or the news media talking about um, conversations about immigrants, you're going to hear them talk about people who are xenophobic, right? What that means is they think if you think there should be any resistance to immigrants coming in, then you're afraid of strangers or foreigners, so xenos means foreigners or strangers, okay? And so that's at the end of both of the words for hospitality is xenos. Well, the beginning of the word are two different uh, prefixes, and one of them is one we're familiar with, and we'll talk about that one in just a minute. It's the word philo, brotherly love or brotherly, and we'll get to that in just a moment. The other one is a Greek word that wouldn't be familiar to us, and it means to receive. So we've got two words. One is to receive the stranger, and one is to uh, brotherly love the stranger. And so that's the two ideas. Now, as to that word receive, if you look over in Acts chapter 7 and verse 59, 
there's a connection I'd like to make with that word because I think it's impactful. I think one of the reasons we extend hospitality is because of the, if, if we can say it this way, the hospitality that has been extended to us. And in Acts chapter 7 and in verse 59, as Stephen is um, being stoned to death, after preaching that pointed sermon, he says, uh, it says, They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now that word, receive there, is the same word for one of the prefixes with strangers in the word hospitality. Now that's a pretty, it's a pretty deep meaning for receive. <laughs> is the, the kind of receiving that God does to our spirit. You welcome, deeply welcome those people towards you. Over in Luke chapter 10, in Luke chapter 10, and in verse 8, again, putting that word receive in another context, it says, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those uh, in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so as Jesus is sending out these disciples on this limited commission, he says, when people receive you, uh, then, then take advantage of that and, and teach and, and heal those and so forth. What does he mean receive? Well, he means it in a, in a full sense, right? I mean, that's not a shallow sort of, okay, I'll let you in the house, but I really don't like it. You know, it's, it's they really accept you. They accept what you're saying and they uh, allow you into their lives. That's the idea there but behind if they receive you. Now, this goes to something I think that, again, culturally we miss when it comes to hospitality. Hospitality communicates something, right? When we eat at a table together, what we're saying is we're on good terms, all right? That's supposed to mean something. I don't think it means near as much as it used to, or at least a lot of times it doesn't. If you watch uh, television shows that are based in ancient times, medieval times, you read books about that historical period, they'll talk about, you accepted my hospitality, or I accepted your hospitality. And when you accept someone's hospitality, that means we have reached a certain understanding, we want to attack each other, you know, those sorts of things. I think it's still supposed to mean that. When we get the New Testament and, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, that when you withdraw from someone, not to even eat with such a one. What is he saying? Don't communicate to them that everything's okay. Don't act like everything's just fine. We sit down at a table, we eat together, and we pretend that there's no problem here when there really is a problem. When that person over there has left the Lord, but we're going to sit down at the same table like they haven't. And so uh, I, I think that's that idea of we're receiving and we're fully receiving uh, that fellow in. When it comes to the word philos, that's that brotherly love word and that attached to strangers. What does that mean? Well, we want to make them come in and treat them like they are a brother. Treat them with the, the love of a brother, right? We would say it like this. We want to make them feel like they're at home. And we tell people that a lot of times, right? We say, make yourself at home. What we need is to tell them that we need to mean it. Because I think sometimes people say that, but they don't really mean it. Like somebody actually starts making themselves at home and you think, what are they doing? I, I, I grew up in a, in a place where my mom constantly said that sort of thing and she meant it. And when I went into other people's houses and they would say, make yourself at home, I thought they meant it. And so when I wanted something to drink, I'd go get a glass and figure out where it was, go get the ice. Because if at home I told my mom, get me a glass of water, she'd say, are your legs broke? So I wouldn't ask that sort of thing if I was in somebody else. I just go get. And there were people that would look at me shocked. What are you doing? This is not your house. And I thought, well, you said make myself at home. Now, I'm serious about that. I think that's something that we ought to do. We ought to make people comfortable in our homes, receive them truly like family and try to make them feel that way. I don't mean try to make them feel that way and that we go all out and we put on the dog. We'll talk about that more as we go along. I mean, like truly try to make them feel comfortable. Well, when we look at that 
idea of, of we want to receive strangers, we want to love strangers like family. Some people then would say, well, see, what we're talking about is people we don't know, people we've never met, it, it, uh, you know, stories like those that we talked about in the Old Testament a few moments ago. We're not talking about having brethren over. We're not talking about having the visiting preacher over. We're not talking about those kinds of situations because it's stranger love that he's talking about. Well, I certainly think it includes the love of total strangers. I mean, I think that that is included in the instruction there. But if you'll notice what is said in these texts where that command is given, you'll see who it's applied to. And so going back over there to 1 Peter chapter 4, where we read just a moment ago, what does he say? Be hospitable, he says, to one another without complaint. And so that word... It doesn't mean that they literally have to be somebody you've never met. I think it's somebody that's not a part of your household, right? Somebody that doesn't belong in your house, but then you receive them in as if they did. And that can be applied to our brethren. In fact, most often when the instruction is being given, that's exactly who I think it's being turned towards. In Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, how does he begin that uh, conversation there? Let love of the brethren continue. You see that? And so that's where that love is supposed to be directed. Love of the brethren, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, I know he says hospitality to strangers, but let me just say that word is, it's just one word there. It's just hospitality. And so the English word to strangers is supplied. And I think maybe that does this passage a little bit of injustice because I think it starts with, we want to love brethren. And so don't neglect to show hospitality. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember, he's right back to brethren. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are also in the body. Do you see how it's sandwiched in between two verses where it's definitely talking about brethren? So I think that passage is pretty clearly pointed towards instruction about showing hospitality to brethren. Back up to Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, again, we've got instruction with regards to hospitality. And this whole chapter, uh, I think, is, is focused particularly on brotherly love. And so he says in verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribu tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. You see, it's right here in a list of brotherly directed and, uh, and brotherly activities that we have and all in the whole conversation of showing love towards our brethren. All that on the heels of this instruction to bring Jew and Gentile Christians together. So I think we need to be careful not to discount the need to have brethren in their homes, discount the need to have that hospitality among those who are in Christ. And maybe even we need to be starting there in many cases. So what do we do? We have love and openness to strangers. We recognize that those strangers, at the very least, include our brethren, if not starting with our brethren. And what we're doing, as one fellow said, we offer an open and hospitable space where strangers can come in and cast off their strangeness. They come in and they feel like they're a part of whatever's going on in your life. I think you have to invite them truly into your life, right? Don't bring them in and make them a sidebar. Make them a part of your life. I want to just tell you, for some people, this is going to be easier than others. I get a little frustrated at all the conversation about introverts and extroverts. And people use all that terminology and they say, I'm just not a people person. Well, I understand that that's the way a lot of people are. I am. I grew up that way, and it's, it's a lot easier for me to be around people. There are other things that I'm not naturally. So what do I have to do? I have to work on those things. I'm not as sensitive naturally to other people's troubles and difficulties. i got to work on that because he says over there, weep with those who weep. So i got to work on that. So somebody that's very uh, introverted and so forth says, I, this is, not, this is not, not who I am. Well, then you got work to do and you got to push. My dad is that kind of person. He's an engineer. 
And you talk about people who are not people people. Engineers are not those sorts of people. And so, and so he pushes past his discomfort and has done that all my life. I tell people, I do not remember a time when there was somebody not related to us, when there was not somebody not related to us living in our home. It was always. And, uh, and, and no matter what the circumstances, some college kid came to town and needed a place to stay, we got a spare room. Well, we really didn't, but it didn't matter if they kicked me out and made me sleep with my brother. So then now we got a spare room. Or somebody was building a house and they, didn't, they needed a place to stay and they really couldn't afford to rent while they were doing that. Their whole family moved in with us for a little while. And we took advantage of that ourselves. We moved in with another family for a little while while we were building our house. And so those sorts of things used to just be so normal. And they were normal for me growing up. They may not be for you. Well, what you can do is you can start that tradition so that it'll be more normal for your children. Because it can be generational in both directions. I want to tell you the reason it's normal for me, for me is not just because my parents did it, but it's, it was normal for them because their parents did it. And it was passed down through the generations. And I'm doing not just what my parents did, I'm not doing near as much as they did, but what my grandparents, and, and at least to some extent, even my great-grandparents. And so if you say, well, that's just not the way we grew up, well, maybe it could be the way your kids grow up. And maybe you could make it more natural for the next generation. We could make that shift and not just follow the, not just follow the bent and the turn of society and say, no, we're going to swing it back over here and go back to maybe ways in which it used to be. Notice some words, some language that's used surrounding these commands uh, of hospitality. In Romans chapter 12, if you're still there, there's a very interesting word that's connected with hospitality. Romans 12 and verse 13, again, it says, uh, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Some of your translations will say pursuing hospitality. And I think that's a lot better translation there, pursuing hospitality. I'll tell you why I think that's a better translation. If you look over at Matthew 23, Matthew 23, and in verse 34, we find that same word for practice or pursue in verse 34, where Jesus says this, it says, therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Now, it seems like you would have a hard time finding any word in that verse that would line up with any word in Romans 12, 13. But the word there in the New American Standard, persecute, is the same word that you find in Romans 12 and verse 13, practice or pursue. Now, the idea of what these men that Jesus is talking about are going to do towards those who are teaching the word of God, that's a pretty active situation. They are getting after those men. Now, of course, it's entirely negative. But think of the energy and the passion with which they are pursuing and persecuting those who are teaching the truth. We see it likewise over in Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, and there in verse 11. It says, and as I punish them, this is uh, Paul recounting his own activities. As I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. I think we need to recognize some diligence behind this command. I mean, you run after hospitality. Sometimes I'll hear people say, I've tried it and it didn't work out. And they mean different things by that. Maybe People came over and uh, maybe they were poor house guests or whatever. Or maybe they've been discouraged because they've asked a bunch of people. And nobody seems to accept the invitations. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And that is discouraging. So what do you do? Well, it doesn't sound, this word, when it's used by Paul in Acts 26 and when it's used by Jesus in, in Matthew 23, it doesn't sound like the kind of activity where they, they push a little bit and if nothing comes of it, well, they give up. No, it sounds like the kind of word where it means get after it. 
And when your feelings get hurt, well, you just keep going. And when, when people are poor house guests, well, one thing is probably to recognize maybe you've been a poor house guest too, but, but in addition to that, so what? So one of the things I, I know my mom has said to me, you can't be very hospitable and care more about your furniture than about people. Stuff gets broke. But, but she cared about the people that were coming into her home. And there is an, an activity and there is a lot of effort that goes into that and maybe even some heartache that goes into that. But what we're told is run after it, pursue it. In addition to that, look at what Peter says um, back over in 1 Peter 4. He uses language that I think suggests something about pursuing hospitality. Be hospitable, he says, to one another without complaint. Now, why would he say do it without complaint? Do you think it's because people might tend to complain about offering hospitality? Right. I mean, that's, that's why you would throw that in there. Is It seems that while giving this command, one of the likely results is, okay, I'm going to give hospitality, but you wouldn't believe the last people I had over. He says, do it without that. Right? Do it with joy. Do it enjoying that the people have been in your home. I can remember, I can remember surveying the mess after we'd had people in our home. We had a Bible study at our house once a month for about 13 years. And at its peak, we were having 100 to 130 teenagers in our house once a month. Now, that was pretty packed out. We were shoulder to shoulder in, in every nook and cranny. And you can imagine after 130 teenagers in your house, it looked a little bit like a war zone when everybody had left. And so we'd survey that and, and my heart would sink because I understood what the, the cleaning was about to be. And my mom, without fail, would just look around. And she'd say, wasn't that great? What, wasn't that a joyful thing? And, it, and, it, and the thought never occurred to her, we've got to stop this. It was only, let, well, and she would even try to take the burden away from us. She would say, we'll pick this up in the morning. And, uh, and so we would go to bed and with, with joyful thoughts in our minds about having that opportunity. We need to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to, to go into that mode of doing grudgingly what God has commanded us to do. Like we said last night, it doesn't do you any good when you pursue that sort of thing, pursue relationships only with your teeth gritted. But you've got to do it with your heart open because it's going to make the relationships worse. Because if you do it saying, we'll see if anything comes of this, it's going to end in disaster. Somebody's not going to send you a thank you note. I've even heard people that will say something to the effect of, they sent me a thank you note, but it took a few weeks. Now you're, you're in the wrong ballpark here. One fellow said it like this, visits always give pleasure, if not in the arrival, then in the departure. Uh, we, we don't need to go down that path. We need to look for opportunities with joy to extend the, the, the fellowship that we have and the love that we have. See that as a wonderful opportunity. It's not a matter here of doing what comes most naturally. When it tells us to extend hospitality, he certainly doesn't mean have your best friends over who you were going to have over anyway. That's what Jesus instructs in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 47. He says, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. I, I think we can include our brothers. I think we can, maybe for some people, they don't have anybody over, and so they need to start with the people that, that they're close with. Maybe that's a good opening to that. I tell people sometimes, look, start with the people you, you can have over most comfortably, and then maybe have over another group with them, right? Another, somebody you don't know as well. And, uh, and maybe that'll be an icebreaker for you. But the point here is, you really haven't done much if all you're doing is having over your buds. You got to expand past that. And you got to push past that. I think, I think too, we need to have our mind on that thought of 
passing on and reflecting what God has done for us. It's not just the motivation of the joy that comes from practicing hospitality. Because frankly, as much as there is joy, look, there are times where it's not. I mean, there are people, there are people who are bad house guests. There's people who are, who are rude and, and they, they make themselves a nuisance. And that's unfortunate. That's not the only reason we're doing it. We're doing it because God has received us. If you look back to Leviticus chapter 19, God instructs hospitality a great deal in the old law. In Leviticus chapter 19, in particular, he says there in verse 33, When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be with you uh, shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Why? For you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He reminds them of their state and reminds them of, through talking about Egypt, what he's done for them. I brought you out of there. And you who are strangers, you who are suffering, and I, and I brought you out and I made you into a nation. And there's other strangers out there. And they're coming from suffering. And you receive them in. And you receive them in like part of your company. And everything that applies to you applies to them. And that's responsibility too. It's not just, you know, open up the bread basket. It's, it's all the laws apply to the stranger that is within their midst. Over in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2. And there in verse 12, he says, Remember that you were at that, uh, at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is, that is a concept we hardly appreciate the, the depth of, I think. Especially all of us who have grown up with all the full rights of citizenry in the United States of America. So many rights to be enjoyed. Till I think we hardly do know what it's like to come from some other country. We take it for granted. And you read the writings of people who've come from other countries who listen to Americans who talk so disdainfully about all the blessings that we have in the United States of America. And their jaws drop. And they say, you have no idea. You have no idea what it's like to live somewhere where you're terrified to say what you think because you might be put into prison. You have such freedom to do whatever it is you want. I talked with a guy from France, which is not exactly a totalitarian prison camp. And I said, why did you come to America? And he said, because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a pharmacist. And they told me I had to be a pharmacist because that's what they had educated me to be. I wanted to be a chef. So I came to America because you were free. And I thought, I have no idea what I've got doing. I don't appreciate it. Let me just tell you, Christians are the same way. And especially those of us like me who've grown up with that bubble of morality all around me. That bubble of, of people who behave and have treated me well and have loved me. And I don't know fully what it's like to be so far outside. I know what it's like to be in the guilt of my sins. But I don't know what it's like to utterly be in the world. Paul is writing this to people who know that. And who know what it's like to be afar off and not deserve entrance. Have no rights to demand entrance but to be told by Christ, come in. That ought to soften our hearts till our literal doors are wide open. Not just our spiritual ones, literal. Open the door and let people in because God, God has opened a door that I just don't deserve to be open. And so I want to reflect that as much as possible. Well, what about some practical aspects of practicing hospitality. I did mention that 
from the standpoint of if, you, if you've never practiced hospitality, you don't know anything about that, it may be easier to start off to get advice and to get help from people who, who, who do practice that. Look around you. You see somebody that's practicing that well, then you go and you learn from them. And so I think that's one thing that can be helpful. But from the standpoint of if you are practicing hospitality, I think one of the things we need to do is go about it in a, in a strategic way. You know, when Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 5, uh, in verse 47 that we talked about a moment ago, what he's saying is you have to go outside of the default. The default is to just shake the hand of the person who, who extends their hand. Well, how do we move past that? I think we, we have to look towards the distance. We have to look towards those we are not automatically comfortable having into our home and pursue those kinds of relationships. Over in Luke chapter 14, in Luke chapter 14 and in verse 12, it says there, he also went on to, to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Can I suggest to you there's so many ways, there's so many different sorts of people that you can invite who can't repay you, and I don't mean just financially. There are people who are socially awkward, who, who cannot give back what you can give to them socially. You can go and be a friend when they don't have natural friendships that occur for various reasons. They just, they just grow up in ways that keep them distant from the rest of society. They're weird people. Maybe some of you are that. Maybe I'm some of that. But they're people that don't easily make friends. And I'm not saying you don't get anything in return, but you don't get the same thing in return that you give in that case. So go pursue friendships with those kinds of people. I think one of the things that, that I make a connection with is the literal thing that Luke mentions here, that Jesus mentions here, is these people who have physical disabilities. It is hard. There's an awkwardness sometimes when we're dealing with physical disabilities. First of all, it's literally physically awkward to get them into your home sometimes. And so you may have to work around that to have a relationship with those kinds of people. It's awkward because it's hard to know what to say. My sister ran into this when, when my nephew was still alive who had cerebral palsy. And, uh, and he's a child that became increasingly obvious that he, that he had disabilities. What do you say? What do you say to his parents? And is this a sad thing? Do you, do, are his parents going to be upset if you express sadness over this? And it just, and sometimes you just got to ask. What do you, what I, that's what I would do with my sister, to have those kind of conversations. Summer, what do you think I should say? This is what I feel. Is that offensive? And I'll tell you what, you'll grow in a relationship just by asking those questions. Because they'll be happy that somebody's even talking to them about it. What the worst thing you can do is just avoid them altogether and make them feel even more alone than they possibly could have otherwise. And so look for those opportunities where, hey, nobody's talking to that fellow over there. Don't go to the guy that everybody's already gravitating towards. Everybody says, oh, that guy is so fun to have over. Well, have him over. But make sure you pursue that guy over there that nobody's talking to for whatever reason. And, and so work from the outside in. And don't just go naturally towards your peers. I'll say that um, as well. Sometimes it's not just socially awkward. Sometimes there's just social distance. I'll tell you what. Older people get such joy out of being able to associate with younger people. Especially if you just let them talk. Because they love to tell about all the things that they've experienced in their lives. And let me tell you, it's fun to listen. And sometimes you'll have to listen to the same story over and over. 
but it gets better every time it's told because it changes. And so, so those are some of the best relationships you can develop. But they're not going to happen naturally. You're not just going to run in the same social circles. And so you're going to have to pursue that. Married couples and unmarried people, people with children and people without children. We need to have those relationships that cross over those boundaries so that we don't just find ourselves circling with the people that it's easiest to circle with. Acts chapter 2. I think another thing we need to think about when it comes to uh, displaying hospitality is that we don't wait for special occasions. Notice with the early church in Acts chapter 2 in verse 46, it says, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, the breaking of bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. It's just what was. They just got together over and over and over. It's a regularity. When our girls were very small, I... um. I was glad when they started asking this question. We would leave church and uh, they were four or five years old and they would say, who's coming over tonight? And we would say, well, on occasion we'd say, nobody's coming over tonight. Nobody? We're just going to go eat by ourselves? That's the way I want it to be. I want it to be weird that nobody's coming. I don't ever remember... uh, I don't ever remember a Thanksgiving in our family where somebody wasn't there that wasn't related to us. I don't remember many weekends where there weren't people at our house. We left our doors unlocked. I don't necessarily advise that these days, but that's the way we were when I was growing up. We would come home and people would be at our house at our table playing cards because they knew the Russell's house would be unlocked and Vicky wouldn't care that you ate her food. And so that they just went there. It was wide open. Still is, incidentally. We might wake up. Somebody would be sleeping on the couch. Because they were passing through Birmingham. They got sleepy and they knew the Russell's house would be open. And they didn't care if you slept on their couch. And so it wasn't like we, what we did is we planned and planned and planned. And we said, all right, we're going to do this big affair. No, just that the door's open. Literally. And so we need to be careful that what we're not doing is thinking that everything has to be an event. Everything's got to be a save the date. There needs to be a whole lot more of, hey, why don't y'all come on over? And I'm not not saying all this from the standpoint of, of trying to lift my family up. I'm just trying to say that's the way I grew up. And it wasn't, it's not something I resent. It's something I love. I cherish. It's a wonderful thing. And it builds relationships. And certainly that's the case there with the early church. We need to worry less about what the house looks like and more about the time that we're spending together. Over in Luke chapter 10, the story I'm sure you're familiar there with Mary and Martha. And in verse 42 of Luke chapter 10, it says there, Well, in verse 41, the the Lord answered and said to Martha, to her, it says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. But one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary, Martha is so worried about everything being just so. So worried that her sister's not helping her prepare to serve. And, And after all, It is Jesus in your home. You would want to put on a pretty good spread, I would think. But Jesus says that's not near as important as what's going on right here. One writer put it this way. We labor to make a house a home. And then every time we're expecting visitors, we rush to turn it back into a house. I saw a video recently where a a guy was going around impersonating his wife saying, we've got to we got to change this. It looks like people live here. It's okay for it to look like people live here. And so and that's what I mean by invite people into your life. My grandmother's house was wide open, but my grandmother does not like to fold laundry. And so there's usually a basket of laundry sitting out when people walked in. She didn't like to dust. 
And so she had a little plaque that said, dust is a protective covering for my furniture. <laughs> and she didn't get it all spotless and spick and span. But she said, you come on in here and, and visit with us. This is how we live. And so she didn't try to, try to put on a different face than day-to-day life. And, and so people who came in felt at home. Don't worry about how much or how little you have. Hospitality is about attitude more than the content. It is not the quantity of the meat, but the cheerfulness of the guests that makes the feast. Over in Luke chapter 7 and verse 37. Luke chapter 7 and verse 37. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. And he goes on to tell a parable of a moneylender who had the two debtors, the great debt and the small debt, which do you suppose, he says, uh, loved the master more? Simon answers in verse 43, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you have judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Now who likely spent more money? Who likely put out the big spread here? Simon's got a feast at his house. But Jesus says Simon's not the one that's been hospitable. Simon's not the one that received Jesus in. And here's this woman, and she doesn't have a basin of water. She's got her tears. She didn't have a rag. She's got her hair. She uses whatever she's got to show Jesus, I love you, and I want to be near you. And so we accept people into our homes and some of the best stories my grandfather tells in his preaching years are being in places where they didn't have two pennies to rub together but they had warmth in their home and they invited you in to come take part of it and what little they had was yours for the taking and they're some of the most generous people on earth are the people who have less it's the people who have a great deal who are so very guarded with it very often and we ought to be ashamed if we fall among that number. And so whatever you do have, share it. And don't worry about making sure that it's a lot. Make sure that it's, that it's the substance that's there. Let me say a quick word then about being on the receiving end of hospitality. We talk a lot about extending hospitality. I think one of the reasons why it's difficult is people don't receive hospitality well anymore. Not only do we not extend the invitation so often, but we don't receive the invitation so often. Why? We got lots of things going on. We're so, so busy. We got to have our kids play in every manner of ball that's available. We got practices four nights a week, and when they're not doing that, they got homework. We got school functions. We got work to attend to. So there just is no time. And we keep saying, we're going to have to get together. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Going to have to get together. And that never comes. I think about Jesus and the time that he spent on this earth. You talk about somebody that was busy. You talk about somebody that had important things to do. And yet consistently, constantly, he's being invited and he just takes invitation after invitation after invitation. 
And when he goes off and says, I got to have some time to myself, they follow him and he accepts that invitation. And I never hear Jesus say to those people, I don't have time. You're going to have to go away. He just, he just gives and gives. It's like what Paul said, I will spend and be spent. Some people say, you know, it's just exhausting sometimes. There's lots of things that are exhausting. I was exhausted at the end of 12 hours in the Magic Kingdom last time we went to Disney World. And yet, I see people there all the time, bleary-eyed and bloodshot, and they don't seem to be stopping anytime soon because they're doing something they want to do. Yeah, it's exhausting, but it's something that's worth being exhausted over. And I think that's what we see with Jesus. No doubt, he must have been exhausted. I think especially the time that he healed uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law, and then the whole town shows up, and then he goes off to pray, and just the time he gets there, there's apostles come up, and I could just see Jesus going, all right, let's get up and go some more. And just doesn't seem to have time for himself. i tell you what, that whole me time thing, I'm still looking for the passage for that. I understand there's time for recreation. I understand there's time for recuperating. I get all that. We do need rest. God gave a whole day for it in the Old Testament. We need rest. I get that. I think we've taken it overboard. Sometimes till, till we just... We, it, what happens is we take a rest from doing what God wants us to do. We never seem to take a rest doing the stuff we want to do. We just fill our time all the way up with that. Maybe that's what we need to give up so that we can make some more time for this. And who did he accept the invitations from? Anybody that offered them. Uh, penitent sinners like Zacchaeus. Uh, Simon, this Pharisee here who had no regard for him. If the door was open, Jesus seems was going in. And he's going to take advantage and take the opportunities. And when, especially when he's got an opportunity to teach, he's going to take advantage of that. But I think that we need to be open to invitations. And maybe sometimes we think, well, I'm just not very good friends with them. Maybe that invitation is an opportunity to change that. I can't tell you how many times I've had shaky relationships that got a whole lot better when we sat down and ate together. Because the, the whole dynamic shifts at that point. It's not only, too, that we should not worry, or we should worry about not being a Martha, but we also should conduct ourselves in a way that we don't make other people feel like they got to be a Martha. Don't go in to somebody's house examining how th clean things are, running your fingers across, and saying unkind things about their house or what they've prepared. It's one of the things that I've had to learn. I do, I've, I do a lot of construction, have done a lot of construction. I notice things. I notice if trim is hung weird and if the tile is strange around the doorway or something like that. And I don't think, I'm not trying to be offensive when I say, oh, I wonder why they did that that way. But it is offensive. And I've been told that. And so I've had to learn to make sure I go in with a, with a much different mindset. I want to make these people glad they invited me into their home. I want to make it an experience that they're, that they're glad they partook in. And so we go in with uh, that, that warmth. Not only are we receiving that, but we want to give that in response. We do want to be good house guests. We do want to be respectful of other people's things. I understand on the receiving end, when we're having people in our homes, we want to be very tolerant. But on the being the guest end, you also want to make it where you're at home from the standpoint of you, you take care of your stuff and you take care of their stuff and you pick up after yourself. And maybe also if you've got kids, you're careful not to let your kids tear their stuff up like you wouldn't let them tear your stuff up. And so there's all those sorts of considerations to take into account as well. I think also when we're receiving hospitality, what we're doing is we're allowing people to extend a blessing. Jesus is extending hospitality. 
to us. And sometimes we don't want to be in anybody's debt. It says, it says in, in Romans uh, chapter 13, Owe no man anyone except to love one another. That's the debt I will be in. You want to extend some love to me that I haven't got a chance to pay you back? I'll be in that debt. And so I'll take that all day. And I think sometimes, brethren, oh, no, 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 we don't need, we don't need, we don't need. Well, of course we don't need. Not from the standpoint, I need you to feed me. I can, I can feed myself. What we need is the relationship. What we need is each other. And that comes in that manner. People take meals to each other. I told brethren at Pepper Road when uh, I was down for a few days and Amy was away and the meals just kept coming, I said, I got a phone and pizza places deliver. I don't need the food, but I need the love. And I ate every bit of that food and it tasted all the better because of who it came from. And so that's, we need to appreciate that, that that's what we're receiving. We're receiving the love that those brethren extend. If we're not willing to do that, we're cutting ourselves off from an opportunity. Sometimes we've got to shift our mindset like that. We were working one time after tornadoes came through in 2011 in Birmingham. We were cutting trees, cutting trees and cutting trees. There was an older man about 80 years old that came by on a four-wheeler with drinks. Well, we brought our own drinks. And he said, would y'all like some refreshment? We said, we're fine, we're fine. He took off and about an hour later he came back and he said, would you like any snacks? We said, we're fine. We got it covered. You know, go give that to other folks. He took off. He came back, and about the third time we were about to say we're fine, an older brother grabbed me by the shoulder and said, would you let that man help us? Can't you see how bad he wants to participate? Can't you see how bad he wants to be a part of this? He can't get out here with a chainsaw and jump in that way. But here's what he can do. And there's some people we just cut them off from opportunities. They want to be a part of your life, and you say, no, I don't need it. I know you don't need it. I won't. I want to do this. And so open your door and say yes more often. Accept the hospitality of your brothers. Well, as we have already mentioned, we're talking here about being conduits of the hospitality that's been shown to us. But if you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, then, then that conduit doesn't have a source. Right? You're not hooked into anything. And, and you don't have that great foundation with which to open your heart because you've not received the hospitality that's been offered to you. And so you need to start there. That's where that growth really comes from. And so if you're here this evening, you may be one who is still far off. You may be that stranger who needs to come near. I hope that you would not look at God and say, no thanks. I hope that you would receive that hospitality this evening. And if there's any way that we can help you in doing that, won't you come forward while we stand and while we sing?